It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We've got a great one for you today here on this Saturday, April 17th, as we look to preview UFC Fight Night Whitaker versus Gastelum, which will take place uh, actually right now because it's currently ongoing. Uh, at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. I understand, guys, a little bit of a shotgun start here, but again, better late than never. Mailman's very, very busy, very busy. We're going to get this one out as quickly as possible. And really, you know what? Fuck the prelims, okay? The prelims on this card suck. We're really just here to talk about the main card, which isn't even really that great, but we're still going to talk about it. I'm going to just fucking fly through some of these prelims because I just do not care about some of these prelims and we don't have the time. Uh, and, and then just get to the main card. We got the main card showdown uh, today. It's going to be the first leg of the April Grand Prix. It's going to be me taking on Jerry and then Drew and Reagan on the other side of the bracket. Uh, the Invitational, I don't know if we're going to do it this month. I don't know if we have an additional four people uh, to do it. Nobody really seems to uh, try too hard at this game. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out uh, as time goes on. Uh, the first fight is already over. It was Tony Gravely winning in round number two, uh, knocking out Anthony Burchak. Uh, I did pick Tony Gravely to win this fight. Not going to drone on about this one because it's already over. Uh, but you can check my uh, my picks that I, I post on Twitter. So it is time stamped that I, I chose Tony Gravely. And uh, we'll move on here very quickly. We got Austin Hubbard in the lightweight division taking on Dakota Bush. Bush is the uh, UFC newcomer. I saw that his, his nickname was Harry. I don't know if he chose that or if that's just one of those like tapology prank type of nicknames. Either way, that's hilarious. He's going to lose. Austin Hubbard is a tough fighter. Doesn't have the prettiest of records, but you know his uh, strength of, of schedule is very, very tough. He's got three losses in the UFC uh, to Davi Hamosh, Mark Madsen, and Joe Selecki. Those are three really, really um, underrated fighters. So I think Hubbard's going to get this one done pretty easily, probably finishes him. Uh, moving on, we have a middleweight bout between Gerald Mearshart and Bartos Fabinski. Um, very appropriately matched fight here. Uh, I mean, these are two fighters at exactly the same point in their career. Uh, you know, a little bit uh, on the older side, trying to, you know, see if they can tread water here in the UFC. Uh, I like Gerald Mearshart. I think he's he's a, a very good submission threat. Obviously, has the experience advantage. You know, he's been he's been losing a lot more fights than he's been winning. But again, and you can say this for a lot of fighters too. But you know, dude, look at look at his losses. Like they're, you, you hate to fall into that trap where you're like, well, his wins aren't very good, but his losses are very good. But you know, sometimes that's what you got to go off of. I mean, it's Hamzat Chemaev, Ian Heinish, Eric Anders, Kevin Holland, Jack Hermanson, Tiago Santos. I mean, think about where these guys are in the rankings, and those are some of the opponents that he's had uh, since 2017. So uh, I think Mearshart gets it done, although Fabinski is a G. I remember when the pandemic, pandemic was first happening and the Woodley-Edwards card got canceled in London and the UFC let Fabinski fight... Uh, Darren Stewart over in Cage Warriors and I remember watching that because it was the only MMA going on 
and uh, that was one hell of a fight, super fucking bloody, but um, I'm still going to go with uh, Gerald Mearshart. Uh, his, two of his last three fights uh, have been submission losses, and that's just not going to not going to add up when you're when you're fighting Gerald Mearshart. He's going to get choked out. All right, moving on. We have a prelim bout here uh, in in the strawweight division between Jessica Penne and Lupita Godinez. Godinez is five and zero. Penne is twelve and five. Uh, pretty interesting matchmaking here. There is one heck of a skill gap, especially for female MMA, between these two fighters. Penne is thirty eight years old. Uh, that's probably not going to bode well for her. There's not a lot of 38-year-old females winning uh, at that low of a weight class, or even at bantamweight or featherweight, for for that matter. I mean, uh, you know, female MMA fighters once they hit 33, 34, you know, they, they definitely definitely start to go downhill, which is something that is comparable with, you know, bantamweights and flyweights. Like, there's no, you know, Joey B. God bless him. You know, he's a good fighter, but there's a reason he's not winning these fights. Uh, you know, recently it's because uh, he's 50 year, years old in, in flyweight years. So uh, I don't know. I think th- I think this is interesting. She's on a three fight losing streak. Hasn't won since 2014. Uh, obviously had that weird. Uh, I guess it was a, sus- a suspension that was overturned. Maybe there's a lot of weirdness with Jessica Penne over the last couple of years. Uh, I am gonna go with uh, Godinez. Uh, obviously just being the younger fighter, the more active fighter, uh, extensive amateur background, although a lot of those are losses, uh, but she does have a nice win uh, over Vanessa Demopoulos, who was a champ over there in LFA. We also saw her on the Contender Series uh, last year, so I think Adinez probably gets that one done, but to be honest, I, I, don't, I don't really care about that fight. I don't really care. Uh, moving on, we have a very, very interesting prelim headlining fight here. It's in the heavyweight division, which you guys know is not exactly my favorite division because it's typically full of uh, fat guys who are uh, out of shape and just, you know, swing for the bleachers. But this one is very, very interesting. It's Alexander Romanov taking on Juan Espino. Romanov is 13-0. Espino is 10-1. and Honestly, this is the toughest fight of the night for me to pick. I really don't know who I, th- I think is going to win this one. I really like both of these heavyweights. Uh, I, I really do. I think Romanov has had quite the um, explosive start to his UFC career. He's only 30. Uh, he's six foot two, so he is a little he is a little chubby, but his ground and pound is ridiculous. Uh, you know, his debut against Roque Martinez choked him out, came back, uh, and two months later and beat Marcos Hagerio de Lima, UFC veteran choked him out with a forearm choke which is just him applying pressure with his forearm down on his neck and really they are two submission victories but they were all facilitated by him just beating their fucking ass with ground and pound and just you know smashing them so really really he gets knockouts and then and then submissions directly off of of the uh the the ground and pound so just you know a a very uh dangerous fighter uh, definitely somebody to watch in the heavyweight division. Um, but, you know, I just got done with watching... Uh, sorry if the idea was terrible there. scratching my eye. That's uh, problems with allergies. But, uh, you know, I just got done watching the Ultimate Fighter heavy hitters and, uh, you know, learning a little more about Juan Espino. That dude is a monster. And, uh, you know, he's back. He's active. He is 40 years old. So really, it is now or never for a guy like Juan Espino, a good grappler, which is really going to suit him well. 
uh, in the heavyweight division, a division that is you know distinctly lacking in uh, in, in fighters who have ground games, and um, you know he, he had that you know two and a half year layoff, and uh, you know I don't know I think. I think it's going to be an interesting stylistically. I think I'd give the advantage to Romanov on the feet, but if Romanov is going to try to go to the ground and try to ground and pound Espino, you're living in Espino's world there. Not to say that it's not possible for Romanov to just pound him out on the ground, but you know you got to imagine that uh, Espino has a good, um, you know, he's good in, in the guard and, and stuff like that. Um, so. This one's really, really tough to pick. I am going to go with Juan Espino. I think he gets it done. I think for that reason alone, uh, you know, if, if if he can finish him on the feet, then good for him. But I think going to the ground is going to be very dangerous with Espino. And uh, I think Juan probably gets it done by submission or decision. I don't think, I, I don't see Juan winning by uh, TKO unless it's, I guess, ground and pound. You know, that happens with some submission guys. You know, if it's on the ground, uh, you know, they'd rather just tap out the strikes or just to have the referee intervene then get choked out but uh, I think Espino wins this one but this is a really tough one to pick all right moving on here to the main card uh, which has had some changes really one notable change and that's why I'm kind of glad I'm doing this preview right before the show because uh, we did have a very big change uh, the co-main event between Dracar Close and Jeremy Stevens is off that is no longer on uh Allegedly, Dracar Close is injured from the shove at the uh, the the weigh-ins, uh, the 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 face-off, and uh, it's it's no longer on. And I only I, I don't say allegedly because I don't believe him, but uh, you know, I don't know. This was just breaking as of a couple of minutes ago, so uh, just being a little careful. But you know, it's very unfortunate. This is a very uh, weak card. Not to say that there's not certain fights and certain matchups that are interesting to look at, but you know, it really needed that co-main event, and I think that would would have been a very interesting fight. You know, Jeremy Stevens uh, obviously holds the UFC record for the most amount of losses, and, uh, you know, he's been losing a lot lately. He's a tough fighter. I respect him a lot. I know that he's a little bit abrasive uh, to some fans, but he really fucking needs a win. And Dracar Close, you know, 145 is really stacked. Look at Look at the road that Arnold Allen and Sadiq Youssef and Ryan Hall and guys like this who are on the outskirts of the top 10. Look at the roads and look at the trouble that they're having trying to climb this division. And you have someone with, you know, in Jeremy Stevens, who I think in the UFC is ranked at number nine, uh, maybe 10 at the, at the lowest. And then you have a guy like Dracar Close who's sitting there, you know, taking him on. I mean, Dracar Close kind of like uh, Kyler Phillips, you know, when he took on Song Yadong you know, kind of has that opportunity to, to get favorable matchmaking in that certain uh, scenario and kind of jump the queue in the division. So I hope they rebook this fight. Um, you know, he, he lost his last fight to Benil Dariush, so there's there's really no fucking way that he should be fighting Jeremy Stevens. But, you know, I, I like I like the matchup, and I, I do want to see them rebook that. I think you have a better storyline. Just plop that sucker as a co-main event on another fight night. And, uh, you know, let's let's see how it goes. But, uh, you know, that's that's definitely unfortunate that we didn't get to see that one because uh, those are those are two uh, exciting fighters, to say the least. And, uh, you know, I don't know. You never you never want the fight to to be off because of a, a pre-fight injury from a shove. I mean, that's just some that's just some bullshit right there. 
but moving on, we have the main card opener between Luis Pena and Alex Munoz. Pena is 8-3, and three, Munoz is 6-1. and one. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Luis Pena on this one. Uh, I, I, th- I think... Uh, I mean, you all know my thoughts on Luis Pena. I think being six foot three at 155 is a terrible idea. Uh, not to say that you can't win fights at 155, but certainly Luis Pena will never, will never be an elite fighter at 155. I think he could be at 170, but it's just there's a there's a fucking concrete reason why you don't see fighters in the top 15 at lightweight be six foot three. That's just you know. That's not. There's a reason why Sean Woodson's not a champion. There's a reason why Luis Pena is not a champion. There's a reason why. You know what I mean? It's just you're. It, it's cool to be tall. Tall's not really that big of an advantage. Reach is an advantage. Uh, his arms aren't even that big for his for his height. It's only 75 inches, which is probably a little below average for a, a fighter of that um, height. But uh, you know, I think he gets it done. He's he's uh, he's a, a good fighter. Uh, you know, he's been. Arguably, arguably, I don't know about the Trezano one, but definitely the Matt Frivola split decision loss. I think he got fucked over on that one. So, you know, he's he's three and three in his last six. You know, that's just kind of how it is when you come into the UFC and you don't have a lot of fights under your belt. But, you know, wins over Steven Peterson, Matt Wyman, Steve Garcia. Uh, you know, he's coming off of a loss against Kama Worthy. But, you know, I think he gets it done against Munoz, a guy who is kind of in a similar position to Luis Pena a couple of years ago. I mean, he came into the UFC at 6-0, lost to Nasrat Hakparast. You just hate to see... I, I don't ever like seeing fighters come into the UFC with less than 10 fights. I just don't like to see it. Sometimes it works out. Most of the time, it doesn't. I just don't like seeing it. Uh, I, I just don't think you have the experience. And he's at a, he, he has a great team, and... Uh, over there at Team Alpha Male, and you know he fought on the Contender Series and and things like that. But it's just, man, I really wonder how many fighters come into the UFC at at five and zero, six and zero, seven and zero, and flame out. Who, if they just would have stayed at the regional level and just had ten fights, they would have actually unlocked their full potential. You know, it's the whole Paige Van Zant, Sage Northcutt type of, you know, you can't you you really can't grow up in the UFC you cannot learn in the UFC I guess you can at a certain level but it's like there's a reason why there's not a whole lot of 20 year olds in the UFC I mean look at Chase Hooper there's no fucking way that guy should be in the UFC and that's nothing against him or anything against what he will be in the future as a fighter but it's just when you're 19 years old you can try to cherry pick all the matchups you want but it's like yeah when you go up against Alex Caceres a guy who has like 30 fights uh, probably fucking 20 of them in the UFC. Yeah, you're going to get fucking exposed. So, you know, I think Munoz is a fine fighter. He's a good wrestler, but uh, he's probably uh, in for too much here against Luis Pena. So I'll go Pena by decision. All right, moving on. I think I have the order correct. Obviously, like I said, um, you know, the order kind of got messed up because of the uh, offing of uh, Dracar Close and Jeremy Stevens. Uh, so I think the next fight is Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and Jacob Malkoon. Uh, Al-Hassan is 10-3, and three, Malkoon is 4-1. and one. And again, another perfect example of why we should not let 4-0 fighters in the UFC. Uh, Jacob Malkoon, he made his debut back at UFC 254, got knocked out in 18 seconds by Phil Hayes. 
Uh, I understand he's the training partner of Robert Whitaker. Very cool, bro. Don't care, and nobody else in the UFC cares as well. Got absolutely flatlined in 18 seconds. Maybe it was just a fluke, and maybe he's the next fucking champion at light heavyweight or, or middleweight or whatever he fights at. Good, you know, good for him. It's possible. But uh, again, absolutely hate to see that. There's no way I'm picking Jacob Malkoon to win this fight. Not after that last performance and not after his uh, distinct lack of um, MMA cage time. Uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, uh, born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, you know, I got to pick him. I picked him for his last fight, and he got knocked out in 30 seconds by Chaos Williams. Also kind of got beat up by Munir Lezez in a fight of the night effort where he did have some moments. But, you know, this guy's a killer. This guy, I think he wins by first round KO once again. Uh, and, and Malkoon loses by first round KO and probably gets cut uh, by the UFC. But, you know, absolutely brutally knocked out Sabah uh, Hamasi twice uh, in, in the span of a couple of months. Uh, knocked out Nico Price. I mean, every single one of his wins have came via first round KO. And then, you know, he's got uh, three losses. So uh, I think he wins by, by first round knockout. This is a very, very powerful guy. And, uh, you know, I think coming off the of two losses, you know, he'll, he'll have made the requisite uh, improvements to, to get the dub uh, this time around. All right, moving on to the featured bout. We have a women's flyweight fight here between Tracy Cortez and Justine Kish. Cortez is 8-1. Kish is 7-3. Uh, obviously got moved up here to the main card. I believe this is a, a, a prelim fight. Obviously, Tracy Cortez, the uh, interesting story of her brother uh, being a UFC fan and dying. And, you know, she had the has the uh, UFC tattoo on her arm before she was even in the UFC uh, very, very cool story there with uh, Tracy Cortez. And, um, you know, she's on an eight-fight winning streak. She lost her debut, and she has not lost uh, ever since. And, you know, she's uh, she's got some good names on, on her resume. Obviously not, you know, world champions, but, um, you know, if, if you follow female MMA, you know, if you follow uh, Invicta and, and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, she, she has she has some some solid wins. Aaron Blanchfield, uh, she has a albeit a split decision win over Blanchfield, but uh, I believe she just got signed to the UFC. A lot of people are really high on her as a prospect. A win over Maria Agapova on the Contender Series before you know Agapova got that hype train and then you know got derailed by Shayna Dobson. Uh, a win over Van- Vanessa Mello, who you know just has a lot of fights, not really a, uh, a top level fighter, but. Um, you know, this this is a little bit of a, a step up in competition. It's probably going to be the toughest fight of her career. Uh, it is a female fight, so I am going to pick her to win by unanimous decision. And uh, Justine Kish, you know, she's lost three of her last four. Her only win in that span was over Lucia Pudilova. And, um, you know, again, and she has some nice wins on, on her resume as well. They're just from, you know, four, five, six years ago where they're, they're not exactly as relevant uh, today, you know, a win over Nina Ansarov, a win over Randa Marcos early in her career, uh, a win over Ashley Yoder, who, would, you know, at least you could say has staying power in the UFC. But, um, yeah, I, I think Cortez wins this one by a unanimous decision. 
All right, moving on here to the co-main event. It's going to be in the heavyweight division between Andre Arlovsky, the former UFC heavyweight champion, and Chase Sherman. Arlovsky is 30 and 20. Chase Sherman is 15 and 6. Uh, this is a very, very gross co-main event that I really don't want to make a pick for because I feel like whatever I pick is going to be incorrect. Uh, on principle, I'm going to pick Andre Arlovsky just because Chase Sherman is one of the worst fighters I've ever seen in the heavyweight division. But Arlovsky just has this weird knack of losing to fighters he should not lose to. Uh, but I don't know. He, he lost to Tom Aspinall. So, you know, Arlovsky's known for three things. Uh, getting knocked out often in comical fashion. Uh always stringing together rebound wins just before the UFC is going to cut him and then losing to fighters he shouldn't lose to. So you never know what phase of the uh, Andre Arlovsky circle we're in. Uh, I would say we're, we're probably in the rebound phase right here, but uh, fuck, you never know, man. But, you know, I, I thought he performed, uh, I thought he performed okay in the Felipe Linz and Tanner Bozier fights, you know, those are, are, are two, uh, you know, le legitimate mid-level heavyweights. I mean, Felipe Linz, I think he was champ over in the PFL and Tanner Bozier, you know, has a handful of fucking hellacious knockouts in the UFC. And, you know, Tom Aspinall seems like the real deal. So, uh, you know, Arlovsky is, is 42 and, you know, that's getting, it's getting up there for, for a heavyweight, but, uh, I think Chase Sherman is one of the lowest level fighters I've ever seen. So, um, you know, I, I think he probably gets it done. Uh, it kind of bugs me that he has the nickname the Vanilla Gorilla. I don't think he's earned that. I think that's a um, an elite level nickname, and we're just kind of wasting it on Chase Sherman. I mean, I'm not going to deny that he looks like a Vanilla Gorilla if, if that's what he's going for, but I just think come on man like you got a sub 500 ufc record you can't be calling yourself the vanilla gorilla i mean that's reserved for you know gophers legend uh, uh joel prisbilla so you know i'm not too sure about that but uh you know he's he's on a little bit of a a winning streak uh in mma and of course a lot of them are in uh, island fights over guys you've uh never heard of and then he had a win over Ike Villanueva who's uh, a, a inflated light heavyweight who went back down to light heavyweight and had a great performance so I don't know man but I just can't get that taste out of my mouth from you know when he was in the UFC the first time and he's just getting knocked senseless by uh, Walt Harris and knocked out by Shamil Abdurakimov and knocked out by Augusto Sakai and you know, for God's sake, he lost to Alex Nicholson, you know, a, a walking CTE case study. So that's just, you know, that's not very good, man. That's just not very good. All right, moving on here to the main event of the evening. It's going to be in the middleweight division between Robert the Reaper Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum. Whitaker is going to be 22 and 5. Gastelum is going to be 17 and 6. Uh, I believe Whitaker is going to be the moderate favorite. I think that is uh, fair. Uh, he's going to be the number one contender according to North Star Sports UFC rankings. I don't have the rankings pulled up, but I believe Gastelum is probably sitting there at number eight. Uh, and again, this fight doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I think Whitaker has earned a title shot. He only has one loss at middleweight, and it is to Israel Adesanya. You know, he, he's came back, he's beaten uh, a Darren Tail, he's beaten a Jared Cannonier, two 
uh, top-level uh, contenders. I don't know why he has to fight Kelvin Gastelum. Now, obviously, this fight was supposed to be Paulo Costa. That is, you know, if it was Paulo Costa, that is one fucking hell of a, a path back to the title, and nobody seems to care. But uh, I think he's earned it already. I think he beats Gastelum pretty easily. Whitaker is just a fucking tank. You can take out his knees. You can you can take out whatever. It doesn't matter. This dude's a warrior. He does not get the respect he deserves. I think he's been overshadowed by Adesanya, and people have kind of forgotten about Whitaker, but this dude is a fucking monster. He does have a title defense. I don't care what anybody says. Romero missed weight. I think, uh, you know, I think that's not fair to Rob. I, I think that he's defended the title. He's always taken on the, the, the toughest fighters of the division. You know, the, the, the Jacare's, the UL Romero's, the Israel Adesanya's, you know, Brunson, Uriah Hall is dangerous. Um, you know, so I, I think he's very tough. Gastelum does have that kind of, you know, crazy innate ability to, to win fights. Uh, that he shouldn't, you know, going back to his days on The Ultimate Fighter, which I went back and watched. Um, but again, I, I truly feel that Gastelum is in the wrong division. I think he I, I think he truly is a welterweight. I think he could be champion at welterweight. Uh, he does not belong at middleweight. He's going to have a lot of nice wins at middleweight. He'll probably have a long career at middleweight, but he will never be champion at 185. I think he could be at 170. And... Uh, I just don't I don't know what Gastelum we're gonna get. I don't know. Are we gonna get the Kelvin Gastelum that nearly beat Israel Adesanya and and had the fight of the year, or are we gonna get the Kelvin Gastelum that loses in you know 70 seconds to Jack Hermanson? I mean, what Kelvin Gastelum are we gonna get? You know, he had the rebound win against Ian Heinish. I thought it was a nice win. I wasn't overly impressed. Um, and uh, I don't know. But the the thing I uh, you know. It's MMA, man. You know, one one punch can win the fight. Weird stuff happens. I, I've been wrong before, but I th- I'm pretty confident in saying no matter what Kelvin Gastelum shows up, the Israel Adesanya version or the Jack Hermanson version, version I, I think that Whitaker wins. I think no matter if, if Kelvin Gastelum is on his A game or his, his D game or anywhere in between, I think Whitaker wins. I just think Whitaker is is truly a special fighter. I can't wait. Knock on fucking wood or whatever I can knock on. But, you know, knock on wood. I cannot wait to see him fight Israel Adesanya. I don't think it's a given. Adesanya wins. I think uh, Whitaker is going to be very good at adjusting. He's very tough. You know, the, the game plan for beating Adesanya is kind of out there. You know, from from Jan Blahovic. I mean, you know, there's there's some takeaways from what Jan did. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see that happen. I think the timelines would probably match up to where we could get that in front of a full-capacity crowd down there in uh, the Oceanic region. I don't know. I mean, last time we did it in Australia, maybe we'd do it in uh, New Zealand. Maybe we do it at Eden Park over there in Auckland or, or, or something, but uh, I can't wait for that rematch. But, uh, again, I don't want to put the, the cart before the horse, but, again, I feel very confident Whitaker's going to win, but... You know, Gastelum can make it interesting. He can make it interesting, but it's just Robert's got a hell of a chin. You're not gonna, you're really not gonna finish Rob. I know Izzy did, but Izzy's such a high level fucking middleweight. It's like you're not gonna finish Rob. You're just gonna try to hope to win a decision against him. And I just don't see somebody. You know, Rob has been, you know, in the past wrestling. I think he almost was on the Australian wrestling team as a guy who didn't wrestle 
uh, growing up, didn't have a wrestling background, you know, just a, a really great striker. I mean, just, you know, his, his performance against uh, Darren Till, the striking was just so high level. It was just, you know, hit and not get hit. And then obviously, you know, he had uh, some more big moments uh, with Cannoneer, you know, almost uh, almost finishing the fight uh, a couple of times there in the second and third round. Obviously went on to win uh, a pretty dominant unanimous decision. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say Whitaker is going to win. And I am going to say... I'm going to say he wins by unanimous decision. I know it's five rounds, and, and, and it's always tough to try to pick a five-round decision because a lot of shit can happen in 25 minutes. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I know Gastelum had the weird loss, the heel hook loss to Jack Hermanson, but, you know, that's a submission specialist. I think Gastelum is tough as shit. Obviously, you saw the chin in the uh, Israel Adesanya fight. You know, I just see this one going to a decision, and I see Whitaker winning 50-45. I don't think Gastelum wins a round. And... Uh, that's going to be my main event prediction. So with that, we're going to wrap it up here. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M-I-N. Got to check out our website at northstarsports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.